Let's pray. Jesus, you call us. You call us to come and follow you. You call us to choose the road less traveled. You call us to walk by faith and not by sight. You call us to live by a new ethic. And so as we come once again to seriously consider your word this day, I pray, Lord, that you take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and make them wholly yours, that together we might actively listen and critically think so that we might radically love in your name. Amen. Now, I thought I would begin today's sermon with something uniquely Southern. I don't know that I've heard it much around here, either on the West Shore or the East Shore. Um, where I'm from, now typically, this has almost, almost nothing to do with the sermon. But where I'm from, typically, we, we, we tend to refer to stores like Target as the Targets or the Walmarts. Are you a Walmart or a Target person? Let's not get into any denominational arguments here. It was a few weeks back, and, and, and I was shopping at the Targets, and um, I, I ran into an old friend there, and as she and I were speaking, we hadn't seen each other in years, and so we were catching up, and catching up through the pandemic, and, and, and whilst we were talking, um, we got to talking about how the pandemic has caused more than just physical illness and death. It's caused a comorbidity. Now, a comorbidity is the simultaneous presence of two or more diseases. And as we continued our conversation, I realized that one of the COVID-19 pandemic comorbidities is the pandemic of criticism. Have you noticed? I think the spirit of criticism has descended upon our world, our nation, our state, our community, and even our church congregations. And before I develop this idea any further, I think it's important to say this. Calvary Church, you've been awesome to me. This sermon is not based on anything that has happened thus far in our relationship as a pastor and a congregation. Did you hear that? How long ago did I have this sermon title and scripture picked out? We're talking months, right? Okay, right, because we are living life together, right? Right? So as we move forward in our life together, I want to proactively share with you what I'm seeing in the world and how it might impact our relationships inside the church. And I think I really want all of us to know, understand, and, 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 and really address what we are presently facing. Because what we are presently facing is the spirit of criticism. The spirit of criticism. Now the spirit of criticism is much different than offering constructive criticism. Right? Constructive criticism is typically sought by one person from another. In other words, it's solicited. Now, if there's anything I have learned in my life as a parent, and those of you that are parents, you can testify to this, is if my children have not solicited from me my constructive criticism, they are not interested in hearing it. And I have often wonderful constructive criticism for them, but because they're not interested in hearing it, if I start to offer it, then all it becomes to them is criticism, right? 
So by constructive criticism, I mean it's solicited. Like if I look at my kids and I go, hey, could you follow me during the sermon today? And they say, no. Then I say, okay, that's constructive criticism. What can I do to improve, right? Because constructive criticism seeks to build up another person, right? So that he or she can improve upon something that they desire to improve upon. But you see, a critical spirit seeks to find fault in people or situations and then tear that person or that situation down. A critical spirit seeks the negative in order to dwell upon it. A person with a critical spirit often excels at gossiping and slandering other people. Something's always wrong with other people, right? Everyone else is in need of fixing except them, right? The critical spirit, when questioned about his or her criticism, will often respond with things like, well, that's just the way I am. You ever heard that one before? Guys, we're a couple of bullets ahead now on that slide. Well, that's just the way I am. Or, this is my favorite right here. That's just the truth. Sorry if you can't handle it. You ever hear that? By the way, in our life together as Christians, we are called to speak the truth in love. Because if the love is missing, is it really the whole truth? The spirit of criticism is not truth because it's missing love. And moreover, it is a spiritual condition that has been multiplied exponentially through the power of social media. Consider Facebook and Instagram and the TikToks and all that other stuff out there people are, are on. And if that didn't make me sound old, I don't know what that is. Back in my day, our phones were connected to walls with cords. Social media has empowered millions of people to critically harass others while never having to be accountable in that person's presence. Things are written on social media that would never be said to a person in person, right? Or at least that's the way it used to be. Now people are so angry they're going to public meetings and screaming at the people they elected over masks and vaccines and anything else that might allow them to relieve their frustration. Personally, I try not to spend too much time on Facebook anymore because it's so difficult not to comment on what I see. I'm just not interested in getting drawn into the toxicity of social media drama. And I have, y'all listen, I have seen posts from Facebook friends that have literally damned me to hell. Except they don't know that they damned me to hell because they assume that I think like they do and I agree with whatever Rhetoric they've thrown up on their wall. You know, if we were having an in-person conversation on the same topic, I highly doubt that they would speak to me the same way. But through the power of social media, they have assassinated my character and the character of other people without ever even knowing it. Isn't that sad? Social media has become so toxically hypercritical that I rarely even post good things on my wall or even slightly amusing things, sometimes just incidental things that come to my mind because I'm afraid someone's going to find fault with it and start a fight on my post. And the minute one person starts a fight on your post, what happens? Everybody else and their mama jumps in on it too. 
right? And in this post, it was supposed to be like, my wife and I went on this lovely date. It becomes something about, I can't believe he talked about George Bush that way. And I don't know how we went from a date to George Bush. I don't know how that happened. You know? Why did I pick George Bush? Because he's several presidents ago and nobody's going to yell at him. We are living in a time when people are looking for the negative. Even where nothing negative exists. In order to hurt others because they themselves are hurting. And friends, that's really what the spirit of criticism is doing. The person who has been overcome by the spirit of criticism is often hurting so badly emotionally that they transfer that hurt onto others with criticism. Why? Because it's easier to address the sawdust in someone else's eye than the plank in your own, right? You've heard that recently, I think. The world, friends, is hurting and it's angry and it's scared. And as a result, people are being mean to one another. And the church is presently part of that culture, which means we are failing to live counterculturally. Y'all, we got to repent as a church. We must turn around and come back to Jesus. Do you know that's what repent means? Like you're walking this way and you stop, you do an about face, and you come back this way, right? That's what repentance is. Now, I'm not going to go that way any further. I'm going to come back over here to center with Jesus. Because we are not meant to look or act or sound like the rest of the world. We were created to be the beloved community of Jesus Christ. We are meant to be the place where all are welcome, a safe sanctuary where none are harshly criticized. How can we Christians be countercultural if our critical nature and our exclusivity is as toxic, if not more toxic, than the mainstream culture? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. How can we be a sanctuary if we're in here putting graffiti all over the walls, right? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I know at times I have been swept up, probably just as many of you have, in the spirit of criticism. And when wordsmithing is what you do for a living, you can criticize very well. But I don't want that for my life. I don't. I don't want that for my life. I don't want that for my family. I don't want that for those I come in contact with. And I don't want that for the church that I'm serving. So today, I'm going to spend some time on talking about how we overcome the spirit of criticism. How do we do this? How do we overcome the spirit of criticism? And there's three points, and then that last point's got like four points. So bear with me, because that's just the way it seemed to work out. I guess that's like seven total, right? So I can do math. It's when I run out of fingers I get in trouble. How do we overcome the spirit of criticism? Number one, friends, first and foremost, remember to embody our command. Remember to embody our command. Number two, take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. And number three, choose honoring over humiliating. One, remember to embody our command. Two, take every thought captive. And three, choose honoring over humiliating. So let's begin with the first one. Remember to embody our command. Jesus said this. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he or she lay down their life for their friends. The command in, in, in the Greek, it's uh, in tole, and in, 
and, and in the uh, Latin, it's mandate is where we get Maundy Thursday from, right? Commandment Thursday. It's a command, not a passive suggestion, right? Jesus' command is a verb, it's a noun, and it's a living example. Love. Love. The first way we could overcome the spirit of criticism is to remember that we have been born again through the love of God by the Holy Spirit. And y'all listen, this might make me sound crazy, but I believe there are many spirits in the world. There's a spirit of fear. There's a spirit of vengeance. There's a spirit of stupor. And like the spirit of criticism, they are all vying for our hearts. They are all vying for our worship. But when we remember that we are born again by the Holy Spirit, we can grab hold of the love that we have been given through Jesus Christ and love others as he has loved us. That's why the command is there. That love in the Greek is agape. It means sacrificial love. It's not, oh, isn't she pretty? Or, oh, let's hang out and be best buddies. No, no. This is sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that puts the best interest of others first. If you're ever wondering if something is, is agape, if something is sacrificial love, ask yourself whether or not it's getting ready to hurt you. Ask yourself if you want to do this. I don't always want to engage in sacrificial love. But you see, we are the beloved community of Jesus Christ. We are called to love one another sacrificially, especially when we disagree with one another or we've hurt one another or both. If we are loving one another, then we'll be living life together as a beloved community. And that's going to look different to the world. And the world needs to see somebody doing that because the world ain't getting it out there, right? And that sacrificial love for one another will in turn equip us to love into community those who don't know Jesus. If we look like we are in love with each other, do you know what that's going to do? That's going to attract people who are in need of love. I know it's crazy, but it's true. First and foremost, friends, we are to remember to embody our command. Secondly, take every thought captive. Make it a prisoner. Take every thought captive. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, and I love this. It's a great passage of Scripture. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So let me ask you this question, and it's not rhetorical, but maybe it is. Who is in charge of your thoughts? Who's in charge of your thoughts? Am I in charge of your thoughts? You're in charge of your thoughts, right? Thank you, choir. I'll turn around and preach to the choir, buddy. They'll let me know. You're in charge of your thoughts. So if your first thought about a person is one of their faults, then take that thought captive. It's especially easy to find fault with others who have hurt our feelings too, isn't it? If you're finding fault, take that thought captive and then intentionally look for something that is positive instead of negative and speak that positivity into the world. And I promise you that if you ask the Holy Spirit to help you take thoughts captive, then God's Spirit will surely help you overcome a much lesser spirit of criticism. Take every thought captive because you're in charge of your thoughts. Take every thought captive. Say it with me. Take every thought captive. That's right. You have the power to do that. 
And third, and I'm going to spend some time unpacking this because it's a scripture lesson, is choose honoring over humiliating. Honoring over humiliating. Paul says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, if you've never heard this from the pulpit, I want you to hear it today. Are you ready? I want you to know that it's okay for you to be angry with other people. Anger is one of the many emotions with which God has graced us. So it's okay to be in conflict with other people if the conflict is healthy. And we're going to talk some about healthy conflict next week. But here's what often happens with anger. Anger and conflict, um, if it goes unaddressed, will lead it to fester in our souls. And then when it festers, it becomes bitterness. And after bitterness takes root, criticism commences. Does that make sense? If we would have just addressed something, I don't know, months ago, we would not be bitter. And every time we see that person, we just want to just say terrible things about them, right? And yet we still don't do it to their face. We do it behind their back. You know what I've noticed lately about the spirit of criticism is that people are walking around perpetually angry. Have you noticed that? I just, it seems like everywhere I'm going, people just look so angry. And they're always speaking and they're never listening. I suppose that's why James said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And when we do that, when we just walk around angry and we're always talking and we're never listening, we usually end up humiliating other people. That's why it's so vitally important to the mission of Jesus Christ that we intentionally honor one another. We intentionally honor each other, friends, because we are created in the image of God. Every single person, including the people that you don't like, and I've got some. That's the people I don't like. I know it's hard to believe. Doesn't a pastor like everybody? No, maybe those other pastors do, but they lied to you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I didn't take that thought captive. <laughs> Here's the thing. Every person, every person is intrinsically valuable for no other reason than they exist. When we choose honoring over humiliating, we choose to serve God, bless others, and address evil. Serve God, bless others, and address evil. So let me quickly just tell you these from Paul's uh, letter to the Romans today. We can choose honoring... By serving God. Paul says, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now this word serve here literally in the Greek is slavery. When we walk away from the world and we enter into slavery of God with his love, it actually frees us to love as we've been loved. That's why Paul says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. We can choose honoring when we serve God. Next, we can choose honoring by blessing others. All oh, people need a blessing. Man, do people need a blessing. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of a low position. Do not be conceited. Now, this word bless in the Greek is where we get the word eulogy from. You ever been to a funeral where somebody offers a eulogy and they say terrible things about the dead person? No. Although if I ever go to one of those, I'm going to come right back and tell you. 
Okay? We speak well of people, right? Because we want to view them through God's eyes as God sees them. And then we act accordingly. You know, everyone, including our enemies, are people of intrinsic worth to God. They are worth speaking well about, even if they've hurt you tremendously. And lastly, we can choose honoring by addressing evil. Y'all know evil's meant to be addressed. We see something evil, we address it. We avoid evil. We avoid things that harm. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now that last one's pretty tough. I mean, we can't always be right in the eyes of everybody. If I focused on making every person in the church happy with me, I think everybody would probably kill me. Right? It's not going to happen. But are we doing everything we can to love others? As Paul ends this, he says, if it's possible, as it, live in peace with everyone. Don't take revenge. Uh, and he said, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Now, are we thinking, well, is he saying kill him with kindness, but heaping burning coals on their head? Not exactly. You see, the motivators never revenge. If you're honoring another person, then you're giving them God's goodness and love without hypocrisy. And that, friends, can positively affect them. And that's the goal, right? The very last verse Paul says is this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And friends, we can overcome an evil spirit. It can be done. We can overcome a critical spirit. We can remember that our command to love and to take our thoughts captive and to honor others instead of humiliating them will help us do this. And I want to offer you this one last practice. This is something tangible that you can take out of here today and practice in your lives. And then I'm going to give you a terrible example. Okay? Practice honoring others with a 5 to 1 ratio. 5 to 1 ratio. According to researcher John Gottman, successful relationships practice the 5 to 1 ratio. Have you heard of this? 5 to 1? For every one negative thing spoken, five positive things are spoken to offset the negative. That's how many it takes. It takes five positive things to offset one negative. Did you know that? Scientifically successful relationships that last are the ones where more encouragement is present than criticism. What if you don't speak another critical word about a person, place, or thing until you can speak five encouraging words? What might that be like? Well, in 30 seconds or less, I'm going to tell you. Friday, I had, no, Saturday, I had the, yesterday, I had the opportunity to be on Interstate 83. Oh, now that was the sound of recognition. And my thought and my proclamation when I returned home was this. Interstate 83 must be the single worst interstate in all of America. And I said it just like that. And the Lord said, here's your illustration, dummy. And I said, aye, aye, sir. So, I'm working on naming five things about Interstate 83 that are great. <laughs> For those of you that aren't from here but are watching us, we encourage you to visit Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and drive on Interstate 83. 
But I will share this. It's the interstate that first brought Amy and I um, as a young married couple to York, Pennsylvania. I don't know why MapQuest took us up 81, over to 581 and back down 83, but it did. So it first brought us to York, Pennsylvania. When our children were little and we lived down in New Freedom, Pennsylvania, right off the Shrewsbury exit, while we hopped on Interstate 83 to go down to Inner Harbor. You know, I like the view of the Dolphin Gap as you come over the rise heading north into Harrisburg. That's pretty, isn't it? Number four, I'm, I'm still alive after having driven on it multiple times. <laughs> and number five, I'm still working on it. I'm still working on number five. I don't have it, but when I have it, I'll tell you. Four is as good as I could do. I'll say, oh, I went to four at one, but here's the point, right? Even the things that drive us insane, we can find four or five good things to say about them, right? Imagine if we did that with the people in our life. Overcoming a critical spirit, that's entirely possible by the grace of God. If we'll remember our command to love, if we'll take every thought captive, and if we'll seek to honor rather than humiliate. And that's his word seriously considered this day for the church at Calvary and for everybody joining us online. All thanks and praise be to the living God. Amen.